Thank you very much. Um, okay, so tonight we're in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Um, really, I went for Ephesians 2 because, as if, you know, if you've been coming on in the morning, um, we're working our way through a series um, in chapters 4 and 5 of Ephesians. Um, but I think we've said before that Ephesians is a bit like a, a game of two halves, or in, on some way it's like, a, it's like a golf shot, like a driving shot in golf. Um, now, I've never actually played a round of golf, but I've been to a driving range a few times. So um, I think I get the gist. Um, the idea is to catapult the little white ball as far as you possibly can in a particular direction. Um, but in order for that to happen, we need the golf swing, like the forceful, um, thought-out effort to make that happen. Ephesians 1 to 3 is like the swing, and 4 to 6 is the result of the swing. Uh, and Paul knows that if the church in Ephesus are going to, to fly, metaphorically speaking, to, to live as people serving God as they serve each other and uh, the world around them, well, they're going to need to get their head around just how much God has done for them um, and his great love for them, which is chapters 1 to 3. Um, a few weeks, a few evenings ago, um, Lee we took us through Ephesians 1. So I thought it would be worthwhile spending a bit of time filling in in chapter 2. Um, verses 1 to 10. The story so far in chapter 1, uh, Paul has been saying to the Christians uh, in Ephesus and by extension the Christians in Strandtown that the thing that our universe is heading to uh, is a day when all things will be brought under the loving rule and authority of Jesus and united to him. And he's saying that as followers of Jesus, uh, the people in the church in Ephesus, they're not just a random uh, bunch of people gathered in someone's front room or, or in a church hall, um, but they're people who are chosen by God, chosen by God to appear before him, not as rebellious, dirty people as they previously were, um, but as people who are blameless and perfect before him forgiven of all their sins, so that when all things come under Jesus' authority and united to him, that they can join in with that and, and have life with him forever in a world made new. Chapter 2 goes into some of the details of just exactly what God has done in the lives of believers to, in order to achieve this. So um, turn with me to, uh, if you can, if you've got a Bible or follow on, on your phones or whatever, to Ephesians chapter 2, which in the church Bibles is page, let's find it here, 1174. Um, and uh, as always, it, it's helpful if you can be following along, uh, but particularly this evening because there's some very wonderful things in this passage, but also some quite hard things. Um, so it'd be worth just checking what I'm saying. Um, it's not something I'm making up myself, but it's coming from the Bible. So let me read um, chapter, uh, Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Paul writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also led them among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, 
God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you've been saved, through faith, And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, I expect all of us at some stage have had uh, the conundrum uh, when someone has said to us, well, I've got good news and bad news. Now, what do you want first, the good news or the bad news? I don't know about you, typically I would probably opt for the bad news first in hope that then the good news would somehow uh, trump or negate the bad. And almost something like that is going on in, in these verses. Paul starts by reminding the Christians in Ephesus what they were, and that's the bad news, in order for them to grasp just how good the good news is. So bear with me for uh, the first little while as we soak up the bad news as Paul takes us back to what we were before starting a relationship with Jesus. And Paul says this, point one, we were dead in sin. We were dead in sin. This is verses one to three. Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. And we think, what? I was never dead. What does Paul mean? In the Bible, to be dead doesn't mean our hearts stop uh, pumping oxygen to our, our brains. Uh, to be dead in the Bible is more about being cut off from God, the God who gives life. So if you think of um, some uh, cut flowers that you might have on your coffee table or your mantelpiece, I'm sure they look rather beautiful. But the reality is, as soon as they were cut off from the soil, from their source of life, they were effectively dead and it's only a matter of days before they start to wither and perish or like a a vacuum cleaner if you're doing the the hoovering around the house the plug um, gets the end of its tether and and it comes out the socket the power goes down we can still drag it around the house still looks like a, a vacuum cleaner but because it's been cut off from its source of energy it no longer has the power to do the job it was made to do The Bible says in that sort of sense, the natural state of a human being is one that is dead, one that's cut off from God. And so we no longer have the power to live as the people that we are intended to be. And some of us will be more aware than others that all of us are slowly withering. And it's only a matter of time until our physical death catches up with our spiritual one. But why? Why is the natural state of human beings one where they're cut off from God? Well, because of our rebellion against him. Paul goes on, You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Paul says the reason we were dead, we were cut off from him, from from God, is because of our trespasses and sins. That is our disobedience, um, our rebellion against him by breaking his good commands. The act of living in his world without regard for him preferring our own selfish ways of doing things to his. You see, we were made by God to live in relationship with him, to love 
and follow his good ways, the way of others, others first. But ever since the beginning, when our first parents sinned and rebelled against their maker, the whole world, generation after generation, has followed on since. And so instead of everyone living with God as king, we're a world where everyone is living with themselves as king. And Paul says all of us have been sort of caught up in that as we followed along with the course of this world away from its good maker. The word following there, which comes up I think about three times in the, the original, sort of has connotations of being dragged along. So we are dragged along as we, or followed at the ways of this world, this world that's rejected God's rightful authority, this world that when its creator shows up, it crucified him. Not only that, but we are also dragged along. We, we were following the, the ruler of the air, the spirit who is at work in those who are disobedient. Paul here is referring to sort of demonic forces that are uh, set up opposing God. See, the, the devil had a hold on our hearts. He blinded our minds from seeing the goodness um, of God and his loving rule. comes up again in verse 3. See, we are gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. And following, we're dragged along by its desires and thoughts. The sinful nature, or sometimes translated the flesh, is the selfish self. It's that innate part desire in all of us that craves our own gratification or, or pleasure, often at the expense of others. So we're dragged along by all these things with no desire or power to fight against it. We were spiritually dead. And Paul's not just pointing the finger here at some Christians in Ephesus or some people in Ephesus saying that he's not saying that there are good folk and bad folk no you see verse 3 it says all of us Paul says all of us lived among them at one time Paul's saying that to be dead in sin is the natural position of everyone including himself so why is this such a big deal apart from the fact that uh, it often makes the world a miserable place to live well, it's a big deal because, because we are dead in sin, we are also destined for judgment. Verse three, um, uh, verse, the second half of verse 3, see, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. God's wrath. It's not, it's not his temper sort of flaring up like some sort of angry old school headmaster. God's wrath is his measured fair response to all that is evil. Not because he's bad, but because he's good. And in his goodness, he won't let evil have the last word. I suppose at this point I need to just pause and acknowledge just how controversial this sort of teaching is to the ears of our culture. The idea of a God who gets angry and judges evil, it's one that we sort of shrink from. Which is kind of strange, because at the same time, we hunger, we long for justice. Whether it's the reporter who, uh, the young reporter who was shot dead and no one's held responsible, or the celebrity who seemingly gets away of years of sexual abuse um, without being caught, and so on and so on. We hate the idea, or we hate seeing people get away with wrong and evil. We long for justice. The fact that God is a God who hates evil and will one day bring people to justice is good news for our universe. But it's also sobering news because it's not just the, the bad people out there who make the headlines that God knows about. 
And he knows what's going on in here as well. Of course, we don't really like to think of ourselves in that sort of way. Personally, I'm a lot better at dwelling on how I've behaved in my better moments uh, and making excuses when I've lost my temper or whatever. But I reckon that uh, if all of our thoughts and our secret actions, even of the last few days, were to appear on the screen behind me, I don't think any of us would feel particularly comfortable. Um, There'd no doubt be things in there that you'd be deeply ashamed of. I know there would for me. See, all of us were dead in our sin and heading for a day when all the careless, hurtful things we said, greed, deceit, lies we've told to make ourselves look better, fits of anger, unfaithfulness in relationships, disobedience to our parents, and so on and so on. All our rejection and God's rightful rule in our lives, all of it just laid bare to be judged accordingly by a perfect God who hates evil. We were dead in our sins, heading for wrath and powerless to do anything about it. But before everyone walks out, um, I said there was good news to follow and don't worry, we're getting to it now. See, we were dead in sin, but, point two, but God in his love wonderfully brings people to life through Christ. This is verses four to six. Paul says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. The wonderful news of the Bible is that God is not like you and me. You see, if I had made a world of people to enjoy, who then they sort of all turned against me and treated me with, me dis- in, with disdain and turned to evil, well, I think I would just do away with a lot of them. And that's pretty much the narrative in our culture, isn't it? Um, if you flick through um, social media feed, it won't be too long before you come across something like this. Um, don't be scared just to cut off the, all the jealous, hateful, disrespectful, and disloyal people. You're better off without them. Well, fortunately, God is not like this. He doesn't treat us as we deserve. Despite our rejection of him, he looks at at spiritually dead people with compassion and love and mercy, and he's acted himself to bring them alive. How exactly has he done that? Well, keep a finger in Ephesians 2 and leave back one page to Ephesians 1, verse 7. Paul says, in him, that's Jesus... In Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. God has redeemed us from our situation of being dead in our sins and under his judgment through the blood of Jesus, which enables our sins to be forgiven and so that we can be made alive with Christ, restored back to a relationship with God that we were made for, with no fear of judgment, but only the hope um, the certain hope of an eternity with him in a world made new. Um, last year, um, in June, June the 23rd in Thailand, you'll remember the story, 12 teenagers um, from a local football team and their coach entered the Luang Caves in northern Thailand. They'd gone in just uh, to celebrate someone's birthday, have a few drinks, uh, fizzy drinks or something and come out again. But shortly after they entered the cave, 
Unexpected heavy rain started to fall, preventing them from leaving. Over the coming days, the rainfall was unrelenting, causing the caves to flood, driving the boys further and further into the darkness of the cave. They ended up as far as two and a half miles into this complex cave system with minimal supplies, no route for escape. They were effectively dead with absolutely no chance of getting themselves out of the situation. Meanwhile, outside the cave, a frantic search attempt was going on involving more than 10,000 people um, to try and find where the boys were and whether it would be possible to rescue them. Fifteen days later, after they'd initially gone in, on the 8th of July, after an immense amount of planning and expertise and resources, the rescue mission for the boys was launched. So 18 professional divers and some medical crew as well, they made their way through the underground waters, stopping at various checkpoints to um, top up on oxygen. And when they finally reached the spot where the boys were, um, they had... They brought wetsuits, like full wetsuits for them, and had uh, face masks um, so that they could deliver oxygen. And I didn't realize this until I was researching it recently. Um, the boys were then, all of them were anesthetized, so they were knocked unconscious, um, so they, just in case they were to panic and jeopardize um, someone's safety. So after they're uh, anesthetized and they're unconscious, um, each of them was tethered to a diver, who then carefully transported them through the tight passages through the cave. The result? Well, on the 10th of July, amazingly, all the boys and their coach had successfully been rescued and taken to hospital for further treatment. The cost? Well, someone's estimated nearly 10 million US dollars um, spent on it, and also the life um, of a Thai diver who tragically died um, during one of the search attempts. Well, 2,000 years ago, having been planning it out even before the creation of time, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who made the universe, he launched his rescue mission to save a planet full of people who were spiritually dead, dead in their sins. 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, humbly stepped into our, our world where he was born into a poor family in the Middle East. He, he grew up and lived a perfect life. Unlike anyone before or after him, he knew no sin. He only lived in total obedience to God, his Father. If all of his secret thoughts and, and, and attitudes and, and were displayed on the screen behind me, we would only see displays of kindness and selfless generosity towards others having then lived the life we ought to have lived in his early 30s. He, he died a criminal's death that we should have died. And as he hung on a cross, not only was he enduring the physical agony at the hands of men, but he had, for our sake, become an object of wrath. See, on the cross, all of God's right anger at yours and my rebellion was poured onto Jesus in our place so that we could go free cost of this mission or the precious blood of the son of God the one through whom the universe was made but the result a multitude of people who were dead in their sin have all their sins forgiven and they're raised to life raised to new life raised to life not tethered to a diver 
but tethered to Jesus, who in our place went through the murky waters of judgment and after three days was raised to life. And the wonderful gift of being a Christian is that we are raised with him. Spiritually speaking, our rightful dwelling place, if we're trusting in Jesus, is not in this world, but it's seated in the heavenly realms of Christ, restored back to a relationship with God which lasts forever. A few words of application in response to to this. First thing uh, this rescue mission means is we are saved by grace and not by works. Saved by grace. You see this idea peppered throughout the whole passage. So second half of of verse 5, Paul says, it's by grace you've been saved. Uh, Verse 7, in order that he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Uh, Verse 8, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works. God's grace is his undeserved kindness to us. The person who is saved, uh, who's right with God, they're not saved because they were good, but because God loved them enough to do what it takes to forgive their sins and give them new life. I suppose in reality this mean different things to different people. Uh, there might be some people here who don't identify as Christians. There'll be other people here who can't remember a time when they didn't. But in either case, the fact that God saves by grace, his undeserved kindness to us, is the same. So if you're someone who's always identified as a Christian, it's a miracle of God's kindness to you that he caused you to be born into some sort of environment where you heard this good news and he gave you the heart to respond from a young age. Um, Praise him who saved you by his grace. For someone who isn't a Christian, well, in a world that says you need to do, you need to do this or that in order to be um, accepted or satisfied, what a relief this is. It means we don't have to keep pretending um, that we have it all together when we know the reality of what's inside. God knows your mind, your heart, all the acts which de- uh, defy his good ways, but he says it's okay. Jesus says, I've taken your wrath from you. Just turn from your sins. Put your faith in me. Let me raise you to new life with God. It means we're saved by grace. Secondly, it means, therefore, there's no place for boasting in the Christian life. Um, think back to the Thai cave rescue. And imagine uh, you're one of the boys who's being interviewed after um, the rescue. And uh, you're asked, so how was it from your sort of perspective? And imagine you say, well, you know, I'm pretty athletic and um, I've been practicing my breath holding as it happened and I happen to have a paddy qualification so I'm a pretty good diver as well. So pretty much had it under control the whole time. Of course you wouldn't say that. Any boasting that you do is going to be boasting in the diver who risked his life to carry you through the the waters whilst you are unconscious, contributing absolutely nothing whatsoever. The reality is, if you're a Christian, it's not because you realize how good you are, it's because you realize how bad you are. Um, And when you put your faith in Jesus, he saved you by his grace. So if we're boasting, let's be boasting in him, not ourselves. Thirdly, it means uh, we're completely loved. The way love typically works um, in our world, and our culture, is, well, you can be loved as long as you're lovable in some way. And isn't that just a real recipe for anxiety and insecurity? 
So we're constantly going around thinking, was I good enough? Did I look okay? Was I funny? Did, they, did I make them laugh? Should I not have said that thing? Ephesians 2 says that God's love is not like that. So he loved us even when we were dead in our sins, even when we are unlovely to him. In Christ, no matter who we are or what we've done, we're not only fully known but fully loved by God with a love that will never let us go. Final application then as as we close, and this is our, our third and final point really. See, we were dead in sin, but he's made us alive, God's made us alive of Christ. Point three, so that we can have the privilege of walking in good works. And we think, hang on a minute, I thought you just said we're saved by grace, not by works. And now you're telling me there's some sort of catch or small print? No, the call to good works isn't the catch. No, it's the wonderful, the goal of salvation. It's, the, it's part of the privilege of being saved. You see, before we were dead, we had no desire or power to please God. See, but now you've been given new life. You're a new creation, and you're given the privilege of joining in um, with God's good plans for the world. Um, Kate won't mind me saying, but uh, um, a number of years ago, um, before she became a Christian, she would say that she had no desire to love or serve God. She, God wasn't even on her radar. Um, her life at university, to begin with at least, was was spent pretty much worrying about how she would get stuff or fulfillment or, or pleasure for herself. But when she became a Christian, when she was brought from death to life, she was giving, given a new heart and new desires. She found herself eager to spend time not just with cool kids who could give her status, but with people who were struggling in some way who couldn't really give her anything back. She found herself less and less um, looking to um, put others down to make herself look good and more and more seeking to build people up and to speak the good news of Jesus into their, into their lives. I think that's just the normal experience for someone who's put their faith in Jesus. God makes them a new person with new desires and he gives them good works to do. The amazing thing is, the good works that God calls us to, even they themselves are part of his grace, his undeserved kindness to us. Even they are prepared by him for us to walk in. And so we ha- as we head out into this week, whatever uh, um, our weeks look like, there will be good works that God has prepared for you to do that you might walk in them. Quite what some of these um, good works look like. Well, that's Ephesians 4 to 6, which is what we're looking at in our morning series. So hopefully you'll keep reading on and keep coming back in the following weeks. But for now, let's pray.